Hey there, friends of Holy Shenanigans Podcast. I'm thrilled to share that I'll be recording live from the Wild Goose Festival this July 11 through 14. Wild Goose Festival is a transformational community grounded in faith-inspired social justice. It's a one-of-a-kind gathering that brings together activists, artists, and seekers from all walks of life to explore justice and art, spirituality, and community. The festival will take place at Van Hoy Farms in Union Grove, North Carolina, and I'd love for you to join me there. From engaging workshops to inspired panels and interactive experiences, Wild Goose has something for everyone. So mark your calendars and let's be part of this incredible community that is committed to making a positive impact in the world. For more information, visit www. WildGooseFestival.org. As one of my followers, use a discount code A-TLE24. That's A-TLE24. And you'll get $50 off the price of an adult weekend ticket. We will see you there at the Wild Goose Festival to connect, to build community, and to work for social justice. Welcome. I'm your holy shenanigans muse, Tara. In addition to weekly thoughts on scripture, a personal story, and a poem, you are invited to join me via Zoom on Sunday evenings, Eastern Standard Time at 6.30 p.m. for a chat or what I like to call kibitz. Drop a message at holyshenaniganspodcast at gmail.com to receive a Zoom link for our Sunday night kibitz. I'm looking forward to kibitzing with you soon. Welcome to Holy Shenanigans. These are stories to surprise, encourage, redirect, and sometimes turn life upside down, all in the name of love. I'm your muse, Tara Lamont Eastman, a creative, a feminist, and a pastor. I invite you to join me on this unpredictable spiritual adventure that is always sacred, but never stuffy. Today's episode is called King's Dream and Me. In the church season of what is called Epiphany, The Bible lessons are ones of revealing things or showing us things about Jesus. In addition to all these manifest stories are stories of calling. In this week's lesson from Mark 1 verses 14 through 20, we hear about Jesus calling some fishermen, Simon, Andrew, James, and John. In Jesus' day, the people who were called to follow a rabbi or a teacher were not usually fishermen. The people that were called to be followers of rabbis were highly educated young men who had memorized and been tested on their ability to recite the Torah, or what Christians would name as the first five books of the Bible. That's right. Memorize and recite five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. This is also called the Pentateuch, which means simply five books. I don't know about you, but the idea of memorizing and reciting the Pentateuch is more than daunting. The standards to study as a religious scholar in that day were more than challenging. So what are the chances that four fishermen 
would be invited to become students of Jesus. Not very probable. And yet, Jesus invites these four unlikely fishermen to follow him, and instead of fishing for fish, to fish for people. Which makes me wonder, why would Jesus choose this unlikely crew to follow him? Nonetheless, Jesus calls them into this whole new life. What a dream that must have been for them. As fishermen, they know how to sail and mend and use nets. They were aware of their surroundings and knew how to hold on in the midst of stormy seas. These fishermen might not have been able to recite the Torah, but they had gifts that Jesus recognized as essential. Somehow their gifts as fishermen could and would be repurposed in this calling of Jesus. Because Jesus has a way of seeing the gifts we hold, even when we aren't quite sure of them ourselves. Which brings me to this week's holy shenanigans story that I call King's Dream and Me. When I was in sixth grade, I was chosen as part of a choir to have a lead role in a play called Kids for America. There was singing and dancing and memorization of lines. And while I struggled to memorize anything that wasn't set to music, I was asked to memorize an important segment of Dr. Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. These words introduced me to Dr. King and his work for civil rights. For me, this introduction happened around 1983. I'd only had part of that story in sixth grade, and to that point, I'm not sure I'd even been taught about his assassination on April 4th, 1968. How could it be that 20 years later, all I knew of Dr. King was the beginning of a speech that continued to say, I have a dream that one day in Alabama, with its vicious racists, with its governor having his lips dripping with the words of interposition and nullification, one day right there in Alabama, little black boys and black girls will be able to join hands with little white boys and white girls as sisters and brothers. My introduction to Dr. King's I Have a Dream speech had omitted his direct confrontation of racism and lifted up his statements of unity. In 1983, I'd been given those famous words to recite and proclaim as an 11-year-old white girl growing up in a community with little to no racial diversity. Even in their abbreviated form, Dr. King's words began to wake me up to the sin of racism. But my question remained, why were his words abbreviated to begin with? As a nine-year-old, hearing and learning Dr. King's words that had been taken from his March on Washington for freedom and jobs, I assumed his work had been accomplished. I assumed at that point that all people were being treated with respect. But in 1983, and now in 2021, the work prophetically carried out by Dr. King continues to call to us today. In church, I'd grown up singing, Jesus loves the little children of the world, and believed that all the children of the world, Asian, Native, Black, and White, were beloved by Jesus, yes, and always, but the world, not 
so much. This light bulb moment of seeing the failure of our society to assure freedom and jobs for all peoples, as well as the failures of my history education of America that had skipped teaching about things like Jim Crow, the Florida Okochee massacre of 1920, and also the white mobs of Tulsa, Oklahoma in 1921 that attacked the city's affluent African-American community killing as many as 300 people and injuring hundreds more. In all these failures of truth-telling, as well as the edited first-read practice and memorization of Dr. King's words, I'm awoken and rewoken to the ugly truth of my white privilege. How could it be that I was never taught these things? It partly is, was, because as a person of European descent, my life and family history has managed to function without ever having to consider the appearance of my skin. This is a real privilege. I may not have been aware of the privilege, but it is a privilege I benefit from. As time passed, and as I read the unedited words of Dr. King's speeches, I learned of his courageous example, and it captured my heart and it's helped me, even in my imperfect ways, to learn about white privilege and the historical facts of racism in our country that still thrive in our systems today. There is lots of learning, listening, and action needed in this ongoing calling of Dr. King for freedom, for jobs, that remains as a to-do today, 52 years after his I Have a Dream speech. In past episodes of this podcast, I've touched and talked about the sin of racism. But today I tell you this personal story of how Dr. King's words called me out of a haze of white privilege so that I can blatantly speak out against racism, that I can speak about this terrible ugliness of racism that existed in 1983 and sadly continues to exist in 2021. I believe that God used and continues to use the beautiful, terrible, and unedited words of Dr. King's I Have a Dream speech to wake us up to the real and lived nightmare of racism. Like Jesus called a bunch of fishermen into work that they were unqualified to do, God calls all of us, even in our discomfort, to do the work of the beloved community and to be anti-racists. Each of us has our own calling to this work. And me and my work as a pastor, as a podcaster, as a member of church and community, I am doing all I can to heed this call of the beloved community that I first heard, memorized, and recited all those years ago. This calling still sticks with me. And I say this knowing full well that I still don't have a grasp of the depths of racism in our country and in the church. But I am working to better understand and educate myself on this sin of racism, as well as how to oppose it. The holy shenanigansness of the Spirit of God is sacred, and at times brings us comfort and hope. Yes, there are places of deep need of peace in our world, but sometimes we need to be disquieted, because how can there be real peace if there is no justice, no truth-telling, or no real history told, 
I believe we are called into the disquieting work of the Holy Spirit. It's beyond time for white folks to not just hope to be woke, but to take action to wake up to our privilege, to not only learn the history of systemic racism in our country, but learn its impact on our world today, as well as the challenges faced by our siblings of color. If you need more education, I challenge you to move beyond the quotes of Dr. King that are comfortable and read his full speech, A Letter from a Birmingham Prison. A book I read last year to help me learn more was called Be the Bridge by Latasha Morrison. It helps to unpack systemic racism in the U.S. as well as in the church, and it gives some first steps on the work of becoming an anti-racist. For more information on Ms. Morrison's work, go to bethebridge.com. In closing, a poem called It's Time. I have a dream were the first words that woke me from my stupor of white privilege into a nightmare that my siblings of color live each day. It's time to wake up to the history we were never taught, to the present we can't experience, to the future that must see Dr. King's dream of freedom, of jobs, of a beloved community come into real life. There is so much work to be done. There is much humility that needs to be lived out. There is much confession, reparations, and healing that must take place. It's time for racism to die. It's time for all colors to be seen, heard, and cherished. Yes, Jesus loves all the children of the world, Native, Asian, Black, and White. But the question is, do we? My name is Tara, and this is Holy Shenanigans. Thank you for joining me for this week's episode of Unpredictable Spiritual Adventure. You are invited to join me on Sunday evenings, Eastern Standard Time at 6.30 p.m. for a chat or what I like to call kibitz. Drop a message at holyshenaniganspodcast at gmail.com to receive a Zoom link for our Sunday night kibitz. I'm looking forward to kibitzing with you soon. Soon.